Well, welcome to the Wednesday edition of the podcast. One of the things that might be missed because of our aversion to negative emotions is that the story of Jesus in Jerusalem is not a happy one. Let me say that again. The story of Jesus in Jerusalem is not a happy one. While the people shout and cheer, Jesus knows that they do not understand and that he is not in Jerusalem to win, he is in Jerusalem to lose. Luke records this right after the triumphal entry parade. Well, it's almost, it's hard to tell exactly the way he words it, but it seems as though as Jesus is going up to the mountain, as he's beginning to ascend the hill, so this is while the triumphal entry is kind of going on, it says, he drew near and saw the city and wept over it, saying, would that you Even you had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. While people are standing around cheering Jesus, like like he's this, this coming king, this prophecy of ancient foretelling, his chest should be filled with confidence and he should be swelling with pride, but instead he weeps because his people are consumed with violence. If we only knew the things that made for peace but were blind, and Jesus doesn't shed a tear. It's not like a a tear solitarily rolls down his cheek. He weeps big, soggy, ragged gasps of air as the donkey goes up the hill. You know, every picture I have ever seen of the triumphal entry, this struck me just today, every picture I have ever seen of the triumphal entry and every movie I've ever seen it depicted in, Jesus is grinning from ear to ear. My friends, that is a lie, a lie, a lie. Jesus wept as he came upon the city. It wasn't the sweet taste of victory in his mouth, it was the gall of bitterness and woe. He knows it's a sham. He knows that this is not going to turn out the way that they are hoping it will. And can you imagine the disciples throwing sidelong glances at each other as the crowds around are cheering Jesus and throwing their coats in front of him and singing these songs of the kings as Jesus weeps and weeps and weeps. When the world is happy, Jesus is sad because their dreams of his kingship and their worldly way of thinking of power and success is not going to bring them peace. What they want him to do is not the thing that will bring them peace. But here, here on this holy Wednesday, the storm clouds thicken even deeper against the horizon as the story shifts now from the actions of Jesus to the actions of Judas. Luke records that the priests and authorities gathered to deal with Jesus, and as they were discussing amongst themselves, he records that Satan entered Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve. He went away and conferred with the chief priests and the officers on how he might betray him to them, and they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he consented and sought an opportunity to betray Jesus to the authorities when the crowd wasn't around. And that's basically the day. 
Jesus is semi-silent. We don't get much out of him. But the devil, Judas, the powers and principalities, the authorities, the rulers, they are all beginning to gather together. And now we see the agency of Jesus' death. And if you were watching this for the first time, you would hate Judas's guts. You might even yell at the screen for Jesus to look out this wolf in the midst. And Judas doesn't get a lot of love because of it. And really, I, I, I know you aren't going to like this, but th- this is the mood of the story up to this point, and really even beyond. There's a heavy-heartedness to Holy Week. It's, it's ripe with lament. And I know that some people want to move past this dark phase of the story. I know that we want to move right to the good times, but listen, sometimes we have to sit in the darkness. Because the darkness is also real. And I've been betrayed before, haven't you? I've been wounded and scarred, haven't you? I feel the darkness of this story of Jesus is like my own. This is real talk. How many of you have experienced somebody and maybe many somebodies conspiring behind you? And it's not like Jerusalem was a paradise. There were soldiers on every corner. There's blood in the streets, the poor, the stench of the death littering the streets. Go back to yesterday's podcast and and hear about the widows giving all they have so that there is no more bread in their larders so that the temple could grow more ornate. The air is full of oppression and dread. This is not the happy part of the story, but this is the real part of the story. The part of the story that sometimes we all live in. American Christianity is not prepared for sadness. I saw some stats from a researcher who was talking about the amount of psalms that are lament psalms, so psalms that are biblical songs of sorrow, songs of, of sadness, laments. He then ranked last year's top 100 Christian songs and said that if you are overly generous, you could maybe say that 5% of our songs were songs of sorrow. Now, this isn't top Christian songs just like on the radio or something. These are top songs played in our Sunday services because they can track that data now. So we're talking about 5% versus 40%. I don't care what denomination you are in today. You are not biblical in your worship service because we just don't reflect that, do we? And we are very, very uncomfortable with negative emotions. I remember collaborating uh, with a a few other churches several years back on a Good Friday service, and we were trying to talk about what to do. And I remember one fellow minister saying, just point blank, I'm not going to invite my people to a service where they will feel bad. Well, I'm, I'm sorry to bring the bad news to you, but the world is literally drowning in darkness. And while we may wish to turn the channel on on how the weakest suffer the most, they still suffer. And that is an occasion for tears. And I know we want everything to be happy, but brothers and sisters, everything's not happy and not well. I was listening yesterday to NPR, and they were talking about how during this lockdown experience, the domestic violence calls have risen by 30%. And my own experiences and the... The knowledge that I have of that, I just sat on the toilet in the bathroom and I cried. Because my friends, God's heart is heavy for the aches of the world. And if Jesus wept over the city, it's right that we should too. 
It's right that we ponder the things that make for peace. And scandalous even to make for peace with our Judases, whoever they might be, and maybe even whatever they might be. One of my darkest Judases has been my past. And I can't help but wonder why Jesus kept him around. Jesus wasn't surprised at all that it was Judas, and yet he washed Judas's feet. He loved his enemy before his enemy even betrayed him. But man, if you read about Judas in the Bible, he doesn't get a lot of love. And I get that. <laughs> but still I wonder why Jesus did all this for his betrayer, kept him so close. And my mind echoes back to the old words of Paul's indictment against all humankind. For all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Because, because the only difference between Judas and me is opportunity, not motive. How many times have I lashed out in anger or looked with greed or lust or envy or all three at the same time? How many times have I given in to my basest impulses? And Lord, how many times... Have I looked at those impulses and realized they came from nowhere, surprised, <laughs> until I said everything I shouldn't have said and realized I'd broken something that maybe couldn't be fixed? And I wonder, where in the world did that come from? And then how many times have I defended my own horrific behavior, my own horrific thoughts, my own horrific words behind the smokescreen of the past or the but they or the frustration or, or whatever excuse I can, I can make to, to slime my way out of my own guilt and put it on the person who I wounded? Brothers and sisters, the cloud surrounds our Lord, not because we're reading about a special moment, because this, this betrayal is like every other moment, like every other betrayal. This story is so average. It's a story that we can all see ourselves in, because when I feel the heavy air of Judas' betrayal, I feel as though I'm breathing my own breath and looking at myself in the mirror. When Jesus washes my feet, but I plan to continue hating my neighbor. When I get up from the communion table to go on about my own evil works. But even here, I cannot help but do that thing which I told you not to do. <laughs> and that is to hold fast in the darkness to the golden thread of grace. Because I have to wonder why Jesus kept Judas around. You know, anyone could have betrayed him, but Jesus kept him by his side. Anyone could have betrayed Jesus, but Jesus kept him by his side. It might be that even betrayers have a place at the table of the Lord. <laughs> you might know that Judas doesn't make it out of this very pretty. But what's interesting is that God isn't the one that casts him out. Judas decides to let his past kill him which tells me which tells me that god didn't cast him out and that tells me something else it tells me that if a betrayer has a place at the table hey man that's me too and hey that's you too and listen it's also that person who you look at who betrayed you you know, if you read John's gospel, you get the impression that he was not thrilled that Judas was at the Lord's table. But brothers and sisters, I have good news for you. It wasn't John's table. And it wasn't Judas's table either. It was Jesus's table. 
And even in this immense darkness, there is this golden thread of God's grace. It's the Lord's table. And we can say one very strange thing about our Lord. Literally, everyone is invited to draw up a chair. Peace and strong coffee.